Well, amen. What a good day. It has been a good morning. I appreciate it so much. I asked Rodney a couple weeks ago. I said, I said, you need to give us a tutorial on the new website. You know, it, it, there's so much it'll do for us. Uh, we need you to to help us understand all that it avails and what a great job he's he's done building that website and then uh, the video you got to see there at the beginning and um, uh, he put up on the advertisement that we've uh, surpassed nineteen thousand in our offering for um, for North American missions. Uh, that was the latest number we gave him. But since I gave him that number, we've actually surpassed 20,000. Yeah. Uh, I, I just have to commend you when you go back to Christmas and you look at the, the Lottie Moon um, Christmas offering for international missions, it was around 36,000. And now the Annie Armstrong Easter offering for North American missions is a little more than 20000 uh, You've pumped more than $56,000 into the cause of missions for the kingdom of God in the last two offerings. That is substantial, and I am so proud of you. And it was exciting to see a grandfather baptize his grandson and, and the grandson's future bride how how cool is that? That's you know, that just that just um, that did it for me. I, if nothing, if God had done nothing else this morning, that that was all I needed. Uh, how exciting that was to see! The music was very uplifting, very challenging. Hey, yesterday in the golf tournament, we didn't win, but I got to see a hole in one. And, 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 you know, you don't see that very often. Um, I've been playing golf my whole life. I've only seen three. Uh, well, two. I've had two. I've seen three. Uh, so yesterday was really exciting. Um, but seeing God show up in the presence of and inhabit the praises of his people will far surpass anything that can ever happen on a golf course or a baseball field or a racetrack or a lake or anywhere else. You know? It is just, it's a, and we got the Pope of Coleman back with us today. <laughs> Hi. So it's a good day, you know? But see, I have this uh, schizophrenia, well, uh, no, uh, bipolar, uh, it's a bipolar uh, effect. When you have a really good morning before the sermon, uh, sometimes I think, well, that's really good because now it takes the pressure off. You've already been fed. God has moved in your life. The pressure's off of me. And then other days like today, I feel like, man, I got to step up. It's been really good. And uh, so I don't know. Um, so anyway, let's, let's, let's hope. Um, you pray hard. Uh, we're in Psalms 23. We're working through a series verse by verse, uh, looking at how God is the true source of the very things we need in this life. Now today, I'm going to throw a lot of scripture at you, a lot of scripture at you. So I'll put most of it on the screen because I don't want you to miss anything. And there are times when preachers like me go really, really fast. We don't give you time to catch up. And while you're flipping, trying to find the next passage, you miss out on what we're saying. So just, just so you don't miss anything, most of it will be on the screen. But I want to talk to you today about being restored by God, being revived by God, being renewed by God. God is the true source of emotional, physical, and spiritual strength. Now, there's a lot of things in this life that will help us, 
But God ultimately is the source. And see, one of the soapboxes that I tend to climb on the most is the fact that life is hard. Life is hard. I get really frustrated with those preachers who tell you life isn't hard. That if you just have enough faith, everything is hunky-dory and peachy keen. And that's just not biblical. It's not biblical at all. We are out of Eden, and we have not yet got to heaven. We are broken people, and we live in a broken world. And when broken people living in a broken world do life together, there are trouble. There is trouble. There are problems. There is hardship and there is heartache. Life in this world is difficult. It is hard. You know it is. And unfortunately, you always feel like, hey, I got to be this, this Christian who always puts this facade up, who puts this front up. I got to make everybody think everything is great. No, you don't. Because life is hard. And all of us struggle. The best of us struggle. Life is hard. We face failures. And in our failures, we experience frustration. We have to deal with discouragement. And if we don't deal with it correctly, it becomes despair. We haul around this heavy baggage from our past. And because we don't deal with it, it gets into our present and begins to haunt our dreams. Life is hard. It is very, very hard hard. We are held to unachievable standards. We are confronted with unrealistic expectations. There are a lot of people trudging around with just heavy emotional baggage And the problem in our society is exasperated because people think the answer to all that they're suffering is, is drugs and alcohol. Drugs and alcohol are not a solution. They simply compound the problem. Now, there is an answer. There is an answer. God has an answer. Because God always has an answer. And if you go to sleep, which I understand if you do, I go to sleep on my sermons too. But if, but if you go to sleep, you need to hear this before we get started. The answer to the hardships of this life is God himself. He's your source of strength. We were singing that song a minute ago, God is our refuge. God is our refuge. God is our rock. God is our fortress. God is our great help in time of need. That's the answer. And we find this uh, written so very beautifully in the Hebrew poetry in the third verse of Psalms 23. So read with me verses 1, 2, and 3, and then we're going to jump and run. David begins this beautiful psalm, the Lord is my shepherd. He's not a shepherd. He's not even the shepherd. He is intimately and personally my shepherd. And because he's my shepherd, I have all that I need because I have him. He's a good shepherd, so he lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. And here's what we're looking at today. He renews my strength. Now, one translation uh, renders verse 3, he refreshes my life. The message paraphrases it, you, God, help me catch my breath. I like the King James translation, you restore my soul. And what David is saying is, God, you revive my heart. You put joy 
back into my life. You put energy into my hands. You put confidence back into my heart. You put a song in my head, a twinkle in my eye, a bounce in my step. God, you put a smile on my face. To restore means to repair, to renovate, to return to a former condition. And much of what life throws at us does damage to us physically, emotionally, spiritually. It damages our soul. So we need God to restore our soul. We need God to renew our strength. We need God to step in and enable us to to step out of the hardships of life for a minute and just catch our breath. The prophet Isaiah expressed it in in that very familiar passage. Isaiah 40, 31 says, But those who trust in the Lord. The word trust means to look to or to wait upon. God, I'm not going to take matters into my own hands. I'm going to trust you to handle this situation. I'm going to wait on you. Those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. New strength. Renewed strength. Revived strength. Refreshed strength. Those who wait on the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. And they will walk and and they will not faint. And if we're honest, we, we all experience times of fatigue where our body is weary. And our mind is worried, and our heart is burdened, and our soul is drained. Life is filled with problems. Life is filled with problems. And at times, these problems just become heavy. And we search for answers, but most often, we're we're left feeling empty, and we're just dragged down and worn out. But David says there is an answer. It is the Lord. And in our relationship with him, we are supplied with strength. In our relationship with God, we are renewed in our zest for life. It's Jesus who empowers us to run and win the prize. It's Jesus who restores our soul. Now David knew something about emotional suffering. David was a man of great passion. David had deep feelings. When David was on the mountaintop, he was way up there. But when David was hurting, he was really hurting. And you see this so well in Psalm 69. And David writes in Psalm 69, save me. And it's deliver me or liberate me. Save me, O God. Rescue me, O God. I am overwhelmed, O God. I don't know what to do, O God. Save me, for the floodwaters are up to my neck, and I am about to drown. You ever felt like the problems of life are just about to wipe you out? You're about to drown because you just had more than you could handle, and you you, you knew more was coming, and you don't know what to do with it. You're just overwhelmed. The flood is rushing in, and there's no answer in sight. Deeper and deeper, I sink into the mire. 
And I want to climb out. I want to crawl out. I need to get out of this hole, but I can't find a foothold. Every time I reach, I slide back in. And more I slide back in, the deeper I get. I am in deep water and the floods are overwhelming me. You ever been there? Yeah. Now here's David. He is a warrior. He is a king. He's a man after God's own heart. He has tremendous faith. And look what he says in the next passage. I am exhausted for crying for help. Next, John. There you go. Look, if you knew how hard it was to follow me with those slides. But look what David said. Here's a man of great energy and great passion, great leadership skill. Here, here's, here's someone who's accomplished more in life than, than most men can ever even dream of. And he says, I am exhausted. I am completely worn out because I have been crying for help. I've cried to the point my throat is parched and there is no answers. Oh, but if you were a manly man, oh yeah, you know. I met a guy about 20 years ago who at one time was in the Guinness World Guinness Book of World Records is the strongest man on earth. His name is Paul Anderson. Look him up. He's still, you can still Google him. And Paul, I heard Paul Anderson preach on this passage. And Paul Anderson says, you know what? I'm the strongest man on earth. And there are times I am so exhausted. I shed tears. Just the burden is too heavy. I'm exhausted from crying. My throat is parched. My eyes are swollen. And I'm waiting on God because he's the only help I have. We know that. Now, I don't know. I tried to research it. I don't know if David wrote this early in life when he was on the run from Saul. Or if he wrote it late in life when he was running from Absalom. I don't know when he wrote it. But I do know this. Here's a man of God drowning in despair. Exhausted from his weeping. Crying out to God. Because if God doesn't restore him, David's in big trouble. David needed his heart revived. David needed a second win. And if God doesn't step in, David is in big trouble. And please hear me. Please hear me. David's struggle wasn't because his faith was weak. We hear it all the time. If you just have enough faith. I'll just be honest. When I hear stuff like that, I want to throw up. David had enough faith. David's struggle was not because his faith was weak. David's struggle was because life is hard. And those with the strongest of faith still go through the most difficult of seasons. And when you're going through a difficult season and it just keeps getting deeper and deeper and deeper, I don't care how strong your faith is, God's got to step in or you're in trouble. I want to roll you through some scriptures for those who who may right now need a renewed strength. You may need to catch your breath. I, I, I want you to hear how, you know, I want you to hear directly from the word of God that he wants to restore you. But in Psalms 34, it reads like this. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. 
Wait a minute, I've always been taught that if you just had enough faith, nothing bad would ever happen to you. You know, and, and, and if something bad happens to you, it's because God's not around. God's forsaken you. God's abandoned you. God's left you on your own. That is just such theological garbage. The Lord is close to those with great faith, but have been broken over the things of this life because this life is hard. And God saves those who find themselves crushed under the heavy burden of the things we face in this world. A righteous man may have many troubles. Wait, wait, wait. If you're going through troubles, it's because there's sin in your life. No, no, no. If you're going through troubles, it's because life is hard. A righteous man may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. Isaiah 43 reads, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. You ever been caught in a, in a riptide? I caught in one once, and I was, I was actually a certified lifeguard at the time. I was in college. I was young and, and flat-bellied, and, and uh, I, I could swim. And, and one day, I, I got a little too aggressive and a little too cocky and got caught in a riptide, and I panicked. I mean, I, 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 I got scared. When you pass through the waters, the tendency is to panic. When the bills are mounting and the water is rising and the roof is caving and the walls are crumbling and the doctor is telling you news you don't want to hear, there is a tendency to panic and I understand it. But even in your panic, God says, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers... Now, what David is talking about there, you know, the, you know the geography of Israel is arid and barren and mountainous. So when it rains, what they get is a flash flood. So what David is talking about is being caught in a flash flood. When you're caught in a flash flood, it won't sweep you away. I'll handle it. Isaiah 25, the, the prophet Isaiah is saying, You have been a refuge for the poor, and you have been a refuge for the needy. And oh God, you're a shelter from the storm, and you're a shade from the heat. Last Saturday, a week ago, when it was raining so hard, I'm sitting at my kitchen table, and I'm playing on the computer. And I look out, and here comes this cat. And, and I don't really care for cats. Uh, don't hold that against me or, or, you know. I just never met an animal so condescending. <laughs> so, you know. But anyway, here comes this cat. And it's raining, you know, it's raining buckets. And this poor little cat is being drowned. I mean, it's just beyond drown. It's drowned it. And I think somebody needs to rescue that poor cat. And Debbie's not awake, but if she was, she's not doing it, you know. So I go and, and, and I go to hit the garage door opener and just let the cat come in the garage. At least get out of the rain. And what do you think that cat did? It ran. 
The garage door scared it. Don't we do the same? God avails himself and offers us a, a, an out from the storm. He'll be our shelter. But so often when God offers us a solution, it scares us. And we turn and we run. God says, I'll be your shade from the heat. He will be our shade. Isaiah 26, 3 says, You will keep in perfect peace. What kind of peace? Perfect peace. Those whose mind is steadfast. Now, the, the interesting thing about Isaiah 26 is chapters 24 and 25 are all about judgment, uh, apocalyptic judgment, retribution, warfare. It's, it's anything but an environment of peace. You will keep in perfect peace, even in the midst of a judgmental warfare, even when God is raining down in the apocalypse, you will keep in perfect peace those whose mind is steady and focused on you. Here's another one. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, verse we all know well. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. My grace will take care of you, Paul. My grace will provide for you, Paul. My grace will hold you up, Paul. Now, if you read this in context, and it's all about context, Paul has gone to God on three occasions and said, Please remove this thorn from my flesh. It is bothering me. It's weighing me down. It's a burden I no longer want to carry. And, and nobody's going to question the level of the faith of the Apostle Paul. Paul's got great faith. He's got great faith. But he prays three times, God, take away this thorn. And three times God said, no, I'm not going to take away the thorn, Paul, because that thorn keeps you coming back to me. And as long as you're coming back to me and you're trusting in the relationship that you and I have, then my grace will support you with this thorn in your side. But if I take the thorn away from you, Paul, you're going to get arrogant and you're going to get cocky and you're going to think you no longer need me and you're going to wander away from me. And then even though you will not have a thorn, you will not be useful for the kingdom. And that's far worse. So what I want to do, Paul, is let that thorn stay. And then I will uphold you so that you can accomplish the things I've called you to do. Here's another one. Hebrews 13, God has said, never will I leave you. In 30-something years of ministry, I've done a lot of counseling. Brother Ed, I bet you found the same thing. People will come to me. They're going through a very difficult season. And they're really struggling and everything is falling apart. Not to, not, it's nothing that they did. It's just, it's just you know, their company downsized. And the doctor report came back uh, in a negative light. And uh, their, their, their child is doing poorly at school. And doesn't, no matter how hard they work, they, they just can't seem to, to get ahead. And, and uh, everything's just caving in. And they'll come to me and they're looking for answers. And they'll invariably, somewhere in the conversation, they'll look at me and go, why has God abandoned me? And I hear that over and over and over and over. And see, that's just Western mentality. That's just American mentality. If something's bad's happened to me, it's because God has abandoned me. 
But scriptural mentality says God will never, ever, under any circumstance, under any condition, no matter what I'm facing, God will never abandon me. God will go through it with me. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. No matter what I face, I will not be afraid. If God has me, what can man do to me? One last one. John 14, 27, Jesus is talking to the disciples and he's told them he's about to leave. Go back to heaven. They're freaking out because they don't know what to do without him. He looks at them and he says, my, and then I shared this verse with you last week. He says, peace, I leave with you my peace, my peace, perfect peace, omnipotent peace, my peace I give to you. And you know why he gives us, you know why he can give us his peace? Because he gives us himself. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. Now, there are many causes for the weariness of our soul and the, just the struggles that we go through. The fact that life is hard is the biggest source of our trouble. But David also refers to a dry and spiritual, a spiritually dry land. In Psalm 63, David says this, O oh God, you are my God. See how personal it is. It's all about the relationship. Let me ask you a question, and I'm meddling here, and um, I'm meddling here. When we sing in worship, how much do you actually think about God? See, we can go through the music, we can go through the preaching portion in autopilot. We just do the routine. We come in at the appointed time, we check off our spiritual to-do list, we get credit for showing up and getting our card stamped, and we miss out on the relationship. When we sing, it's you and God. When you worship, it's you and God. When there's preaching, it's you and God. The focus needs to be on God. See, he can't be my God if it's just about perfunctory religious activity. It's got to be my God. David said, you are my God. And I earnestly search for you. I'm not searching for proper spiritual techniques. I'm not searching for getting my card stamp that I showed up at the appropriate time. I don't want to just go through the motions. I want to experience the presence of God. You are my God and my soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you. This land is dry. It is parched. And because there's no, there's no spiritual nourishment here, we are weary without about the rain that God pours out through his Holy Spirit. And the only solution is in that intimate personal relationship with my shepherd. So weariness increases in, 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 in escalating uh, fashion uh, in a society that is consumed by never-ending activity. Uh, by the way, uh, again, I'm meddling here, and I'm doing it because I love you. Um, 
the fourth commandment is still in effect. Does anybody know the fourth commandment? There you go. You need a day of rest. Every week you need a day of rest. Every week you need to schedule an appointment with rest. Now much of the Old Testament doesn't apply to us because we're not under the Levitical laws and we're not under the Deuteronomy laws. But we're under the Ten Commandments. And it is just as wrong not to have a Sabbath rest as it is commit adultery. I'm meddling. You can thank me later. But we have a society that just ceaseless action and all this action just drains our soul because we never get rest. We're tired and we're not just physically tired, we're emotionally tired and we're spiritually tired because we never stop and we never refresh ourselves. We need to remember what Jesus said in Matthew 11, come to me, come to me. See, it's intimate, it's personal. Come to me, those who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And you will find rest for your souls. You know, as I was thinking about what it means for God to restore our soul, Psalm 63 helped me realize that the first step and, and the, re, the reviving of our, our strength and our energy is to, is to acknowledge that we're thirsty. And I think, unfortunately, so many Christians in our society are spiritually thirsty and, and just don't realize it. We have a tendency to either ignore our weaknesses or hide our weaknesses or even deny our weaknesses. There's an interesting story in Mark chapter 3. Jesus approaches a man with a withered hand. And he tells the man with a withered hand, he says, stick out your hand. Now, we walk around with shirt sleeves, but they walked around in robes. And often their robes would cover their hands. So there's a good chance that most of the people in the crowd who didn't know this man didn't know he had a withered hand. So Jesus walks up and says, stick out your hand. He doesn't say which one. He just says, stick out your hand. And the man stuck out his withered hand. And it was healed. I was reading that the other day and I got to thinking, you know, I'm so guilty. I am so guilty. God comes to me and if I was offered that opportunity, stick out your hand, there's a good chance I would put my withered hand behind my back because I don't want you to see my withered hand. I don't want you to see the issues that I'm struggling with. I don't want you to see the problems that are burdening me down. I would have probably stuck out my healed hand and gone away without any kind of healing and restoration because I didn't want to admit in front of other people that I needed a touch from God. And so often we, we miss out. I'm going to continue walking you through Psalm 63. Verse 2, it says, I have seen you in your sanctuary. And I have gazed upon your power and glory. Your unfailing love is better than life itself. Think about that. David says, I would rather know the love of God than to live. I like living. 
But knowing God loves me is even better. And because of that, I praise you. Verse 4, he says, I will praise you as long as I live. I will lift up my hands to you in prayer. You satisfy me more than the richest of feast. Now, for us, that, that's not a big statement because, you know, we can go out here. As soon as we get out of church, we're going to go out and most of you have dinner at home. But if you don't want to, you can drive up and down Highway 31 or even Highway 36. And there's, you know, there's restaurants, you know, everywhere. But in that day and time, there, there were not restaurants. And coming up with a feast was a once-in-a-lifetime experience for most people. They didn't have Thanksgiving and, and Christmas dinners like we have. You know, so what David is saying is, is that God, you satisfy me more than the grandest event I could ever think of. And I will praise you with songs of joy. I will lie awake thinking of you. What do you, what do you think about when you lay down at night? I meditate on you throughout the night. What, you know, isn't it true that when we're struggling at work, when, when uh, we're behind at work, when we're, when we're going through a difficult season, when there's a conflict going on in our life, when there's just a struggle of some kind, and we try to lay down at night and go to sleep, we can't because we can't turn our minds off. We can't quit thinking about our problem. But if we learn, if we teach ourselves to think on God, to meditate on God, to lay down at... I heard this preacher one time, and he said, he said that he goes to sleep at night praying. And I thought, well, that's not really nice. You just went to sleep on God. And then I got older and smarter. And I realized, what best way to go to sleep than meditating on the greatness of God? Because you are my helper, I will sing for joy in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. I, that was my favorite part. I cling to you. A couple Sundays ago, I won't embarrass them, but Dad was standing out here in the well, it's been several weeks ago now. It's been about a month ago. Dad was standing out here, and his little daughter comes running up and attaches to his leg. And she wouldn't let go. So he literally had to walk out like, you know. And she's just hanging on for dear life. And, and the other day as I was reading this verse, I thought of that. I, I cling to you. I am not letting go of you. I have attached myself to you. I am holding on for dear life because you are my rock and you are my refuge and you are my security and you are my source of help in time of need. Your strong right hand holds me securely. David is saying, fix your eyes on God. Meditate on God. Learn to worship God. Because the more you know God, the bigger you're going to see God. And the bigger you're going to see God, the more you're going to understand that in his omnipotence, he can handle whatever you're facing. See, David focused on God's power and on God's glory and on God's overwhelming love. And he was assured that God's love would enable David to survive the hardships of this life. See, it's in your relationship with him that you find security and contentment and satisfaction. It's in your relationship with him comes the renewal of your strength that revives your heart. You don't find it anywhere but in him. Let me just read you Psalms 23. Just listen. 
He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. And even when I walk through the darkest valley, not if, but when, you're going there. You're going there. It's going to happen. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You know what David is saying there? We're going to talk about this in a few weeks. David is saying that when you sit down at the table of the biggest bully on the block and he's got your back, nobody else can mess with you. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. You so satisfy my life with your presence that my heart is filled to capacity and the cup is overflowing. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. And David says, in my relationship with God, because I seek him, I will live in his presence forever. See, David knew God. And because he knew God intimately and personally, when he was on the mountaintop, he didn't let himself get too high. And when he was in the valley of the shadow of death, he didn't get too low because he knew no matter where he found himself, it wasn't the circumstances of life that really mattered. It was a relationship with God that really mattered. David says, God loves us. And it's a deep love. It's an abiding love. It's a love that never leaves. It's a love that actively pursues us. I'll never forget the first time I was reading C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity. And in that book, he calls God the hound of heaven. And I thought, that's, that's not real nice. And then I got older and smarter. And I realized that's exactly the way God is. He pursues us. And I'm so grateful he pursues us. I'm so grateful he's not sitting on some Tibetan hillside waiting for us to climb up and meet him. That he comes to us while we're in the valley, while we're struggling, while we're hurting, while we are in need, while we don't, while we don't have any answers, while we don't know where to turn. He comes to us on those occasions and says, I am what you need. Take me by the hand. I will secure you in me and I will take you where you need to go. So where does restoration come from? And how does God renew our strength? And the answer is simply through him. Your strength comes from God alone. It is in the intimate and personal relationship with my shepherd, our shepherd, that our souls are restored and our hearts are revived and our strength is renewed. It is the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer that restores to us the joy of our salvation. Listen, 
I know you're capable. You're incredibly capable. I admire your capabilities, but you cannot restore yourself. Only God can restore you. So you turn to him. You come to him. You trust in him. And as David says, you cling to him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the beauty of your scripture and the power of its truth. God, please help us to understand all that you have communicated.